All right. Well, now I'm going to have to edit this now. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader and trusted advisor and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we have Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode is recorded on Friday the 3rd of December. Thank you for joining us, I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. My chum Jeff Clark is back and we discuss some Gartner predictions for the new year. My guest is Melissa Sargent, CMO at Litmus. And Robert Rose, my friend and content marketing guru, is in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? My chum, Jeff Clark, is a Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester. It's peak prediction season, and we take a look at something a chum of ours recently shared on LinkedIn from Gartner. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am well. Thank you for having me back. You're very welcome. Are you in the deep freeze in the... Northeast. Yeah, well, it's, it's a sunny, uh, you know, it's a, it's one of those. All the leaves are off the trees, mm-hmm. but it and we've had some cold days, but it is sunny today, and um, so we'll likely try to get out for a walk after we like get off this call. I like it. Yeah, we had uh, it's dark now, but we had uh, we had one of those days here as well, and I love those crisp, cold winter days. I take that over. The miserable grey that we get so often. <laughs> I'd rather have the cold temperature but the blue sky than the higher temperature and the the grey. So, sounds like we've had a similar kind of day today. And I well, and you know, yeah, and in a week I'll be in Norway and I'll be uh, I'll be you know enjoying the uh, dark mornings and the dark evenings, but that little bit of crisp cold bright sunshine yeah. <laughs> between yes. 12 and 2 <laughs> <laughs> yes and uh, and you know you've just given away to the jeff clark fan base out there that that we're gonna lose you for a few weeks so yeah yeah oh. that's fine oh. <laughs> anyway what brings us together this week is uh is an old colleague of ours called john field who is now a an analyst at gartner we're sharing something on uh, on linkedin that we both kind of jumped on uh, which is the top 10 predictions. What's it called? Um, top top ten, 10 strategic predictions for 2022 and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. And this, was, and this is, uh, I'll include a link to it in the show notes, but it was, it's, it's really a, it's kind of a, it's been curated by one of their content marketers, Casey Panetta, and it's sort of bringing together a bunch of research that Gartner are doing at the moment, isn't it? And, yep. it, and, it's, and it's a crazy list. I mean, it, it ranges from privacy, customer data, agile, Africa, cyber attacks, hyper tokenization, NFTs. And 
the last one, more internet. Now, I'm not going to read out all 10, but I thought I'd, because we don't have time, but I thought I'd ask you, Jeff, what say you to these predictions? I thought you wouldn't ask, uh, but <laughs> it, it, um, and, well, I, and I think... Well, I think for for our listening audience, uh, as you said, there's I mean there's a there's a pretty broad range here. So mm-hmm. I thought there might a few that were worth drilling into and getting our thoughts on for marketers because they're relevant yeah. to marketers. Yeah. Um, and and the the first I think the first big caveat I mean, you know, having worked at at Forrester and Serious Decisions, you certainly worked mm-hmm. at analyst firms. I mean, we all know it's kind of like. You put these things out because you're really trying to drive interest in your research, which means yes. you're trying to sell subscriptions, which means more money for Gartner. And these mm. things many times are meant to be provocative. And then you look under the hood and then you realize, well, that's not that's not that radical a suggestion. But, you know, uh, so it's <laughs> so it's always. Oh, in, you cynic. <laughs> oh, I see. That's that's what happens when you when you've uh, been in this game. For a while, uh, and um, yes, yeah, and when you see how the sausage is made, and you know, mm-hmm. I've certainly written my series of future future predictions, and um, and there, you know, and and there's always there is always some relevance, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and again, they're they're made to provoke interest, but they're made to be provocative, and so sometimes yeah. it's you you just have to drill into it to to see what's the you know what's yeah. the What's the reality? And, and, it, and so like the first one to me, and then there were a series that covered, um, you know, issues about privacy and data collection, which yeah. I think back at the beginning of the year, we had a, a like a series on on that topic. And and the yeah. prediction is a 70 percent reduction in privacy sanctions, which when I when I hear that, it to me, it sounds like, oh, you mean like the EU and state of California or whatever, they're going to like retract their privacy restrictions. Um, But what they're really getting at is that people are going to, or people, companies are going to move to more, you know, synthetic data collection. So they're not really necessarily collecting your personal information. Um, They're, you know, they're going to um, use AI and some tools that, you know, to help them, you know, build a profile of you as this person who was interacted on their website or interacted with their applications uh-huh. and, you know, and then do personalization from there. So they don't really have to, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have to collect the information that would get them in trouble with the, um, you know, yeah. with the big bureaucracies. And I think, you know, uh, I, I would say that that's, you know, even though I think that the prediction is somewhat misleading that the practice is, is okay because, you know, to agree, to a degree, we remain anonymous. You, know, our our personal data is not being, you know, um, used for bad purposes mm-hmm. and or, or leaked out there. And then, you know, but we do get some of the benefits of personalization that we all come to enjoy by shopping mm. on Amazon and you know all the various other places that have been using those types of tactics. Yeah, but so I, I mean, yeah, I go ahead. The thing, the, the main point of the prediction is that we'll use synthetic data instead of real data in order to do that right yeah um so the regulatory authorities will come and say well um you know let me have a look at your data and you go this isn't data this is just shit we made up with an ai (laughs) no that's not that's that's not jeff that's Jay. That's <laughs> yes, yes, that's the Jay persona. That's J978. 
you know what the hell so um so we we have seemed... we have tokenized them which gets to one yeah. or the other <laughs> yeah but presumably um, in order to train the model you're going to need real data right so that's the way i mean i don't know about whether they're using ai in the right term here because i mean you're on sketchy ground when you talk about ai anyway uh, i think i think they talk about machine yeah. learning and things like that but presumably yeah. It's, I, it's I think taking, the key is that they're not going to they're they're not going to necessarily take my email mm-hmm. my you know my name uh, my social security you know whatever you know the pieces the the the, the you know oh. the PI data that you know yeah. I think that is um, we're trying to protect but you're but, yeah but then again I think that um, behavior can identify us just as well, right? So I think that, yeah. I think it needs to be caught. It's an interesting prediction, I think, but um, it certainly leads on to prediction number two. Number two. Number three. Yeah. Number two, yeah. consumers fight data collection. And I've no idea what number three means, mining brain data. But anyway, let's not be doing that. If they ask you to connect your, your computer <laughs> yeah. or your phone directly to your your brain <laughs> don't do that let's not be doing that but number two consumers fight data collection i think that's a pretty sound um prediction because it's already happening isn't it it is happening but I, the, the thing the thing i would counter is that it says literally it says for by 2024 so two years away 40 percent of consumers yeah. are going to trick behavior tracking metrics to intentionally devalue personal data collected about them yeah okay 40 percent so the flip side is 60% of customers will not be able to trick tracking yeah. metrics. So, so I think that's where, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, I mean, I mean, today, I, this is one of the things is that, is that we know people are being influenced, you know, with, yeah. um, uh, I mean, not just from a consumer perspective in yeah. terms of what things are being pitched to us, but we're being influenced by, you know, conspiracy theories, misinformation, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there are a number of us that, you know, got off Facebook or, or got off Instagram or are yeah. trying to, trying to really mod, monitor our social media activity, et cetera. And, but there's a whole chunk of the world and the country in yeah. the U S uh, and in the UK that, that, that frankly is, is just, you know, is stuck in this. It's like, they don't want to get rid of the things, the tools that they have basically given their personal identities up to and, 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 you know, they're going down the rabbit holes. And so this is, I think these two things, uh, you know, certainly with the the third prediction, which is about, again, you know, mining, uh, well, the mining, the brain data is that, you know, using uh, what was neuro mining and and to influence subconscious behaviors. These are things that really require, regulation uh yeah. you know from you know from our our you know public officials because yeah because we could very easily you know find ourselves in the traps of the you know the uh, <laughs> dystopic fiction from yeah. 1984 onward <laughs> and then yeah, all of a sudden yeah. we're just we're just you know we're we're just like at the end of some virtual chain getting yeah. influenced and 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 doing crazy things, which people, by the way, are doing today. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I, what I found interesting about this prediction number two is um, my daughter's behavior, my 17-year-old daughter's behavior on TikTok is she has got two accounts because she's aware that TikTok is going to serve her content based on her behavior. Yeah. She behaves a certain way because she likes a particular Korean boy band and she wants to present to TikTok a fan of this boy band. So that's all the content she gets on that TikTok account. 
So she is completely aware of what's going on and she modifies her behavior. So that TikTok account for her is Korean boy band TikTok and the other TikTok is regular TikTok, right? So yeah. I think that people, I think it's interesting that people are becoming aware and they're being cautious about what they're clicking on. And then other people are creating multiple um, social accounts to do that. Anyway, we've I, I, I totally, totally, mm-hmm. totally agree with you. And I just, I think the bigger point is that, is that yes, there's going to be a portion that does this smartly. And then there's going to be a big portion, yeah. which potentially is going to be the lion's share of the population that, yeah. that doesn't, and they just get sucked yeah. into the, the voids. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then we um, get, Oh, go ahead. No, no. And then I thought if we move on from data, I mean, just in the interest, I mean, I don't know what, what your last point on that was going to be. So I no, let you. no, I think, I think that, uh, I mean, my last point, particularly when you get into the, you know, the, the you know, using this to mani- purposely manipulate us, which I mean, mm-hmm. pe- we've been manipulated by TV advertising and stuff for mm-hmm. years. So, I mean, this is nothing yeah. new. It's just, there's new tools. Yeah. And, and at some point we've, we as, uh, you know, societies need to be, serious about how we regulate this stuff so we'd make sure yeah. that it doesn't you know doesn't come yeah, back to gonna, bite us yeah i mean uh, i think um i, I you know I've, I've got a bunch of marketing books behind me and I, I was just looking away from the microphone because i think it's like uh, the choice factory by richard Shotton. that book talks about all the different psychological if i'm using the right terminology triggers that drive our behavior that marketers have been using forever, right? So we are basic people really, aren't we? That kind of stuff. I mean, this prediction talks about neuroscience. Well, we've kind of been doing it all this time. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting, yeah. We're getting better tools. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, if we get to prediction number four, I think that we definitely have an opinion on this. Agile in managers out. Managers out. (laughs) Yes. Damn those damn managers. Um, Uh. You know, they, so the data points they have is that, you know, adoption of Agile, it it certainly this applies to marketing, but this isn't, they're not talking just about marketing, but like 30% adoption corporate teams to Agile, which I've seen similar, and and they're saying by 2024. So I've seen other, particularly in marketing, certainly in development where it's, it's higher than 30%. Um, And that hybrid work, 50% 50% of organizations will have hybrid work environments. And it's like, okay, so I think, I think I would agree with, with that in terms of just general outlook of what the percentages are going to be, but the managers out, this is where I have a real problem because I think we're giving agile too much credit. Um, yeah. So agile can, can help you run processes, but people still need to be managed. I mean, people still yeah. need to, you know, understand, you know, whether they're performing well, pay yeah. increases, you know, I mean, and, and, and I think companies, you know, I don't know about your experience, my experience, even though I've been in some fairly well-run companies yeah. is that, is that companies don't do a really good job of managing people and developing talent. And obviously some companies do a great job, but, you know, I think it is very, very hit and miss. And, and so why are so many people in the U S particularly, I don't know about in the UK or in Europe, so many people yeah. are quitting their jobs because yeah. poor pay, bad direction, bad working yeah. conditions. Yeah. And it's like one out of five healthcare workers have quit in the United States over the past year. Wow. So, so it's like, well, we can talk about agile all we want, but unless there's yeah. some mecha- mechanism for really directly mentoring and developing talent, you're yeah, just going to yeah. lose people. And, and if that's the scrum master, then they're the manager. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, well, that it's was, not that, that, was, that, that complicated. Was my, 
Yeah, that was my thought from this. For, for me, um, the Scrum Master has an operational management role within an Agile team. But to your point, they don't have the, um, you know, the, the, the pay and rations, the, 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 the health of the employee. That's the right word. But, not you know, the well-being yes, yeah. of they're, they're not going to care about that because, well, not they may care, but it, it's just that from an Agile structure, you're, the, the, the Agile team is there to do a thing. There's none of the soft, like, yeah. career and, and development, make sure you're right. okay, all that kind of good stuff. It's just if to it's, get the thing done. And if it's truly a cross-functional team, then it's like, yeah. you know, let's say in marketing, it's a cross-functional team where somebody's from yeah. digital, someone from creative, someone from field marketing, whatever. Yeah. Then it's like those people still, you know, they, they sit in these other functions. Yeah. So so they, yeah. it becomes a matrix management challenge, which is not necessarily a lot of companies do matrix management really well. So it's like. Yeah. I, that's where I think the whole idea about management out or managers out yeah. is, is, is yeah. stupidity. Absolutely. Absolutely. That fact, does bring think... me to another one, though. Or, uh-huh. or did you have another comment before we move on? No, no, really. I mean, I was disagreeing with you, really, because I think that, that you know, we work in complex organizations. We have tools like Agile that we can use. That doesn't mean the manager is out. That just means that it's a it's a different challenge for as a manager to to run matrix teams and 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 all that kind yep. of good stuff and i think that's what you were saying so yeah. where are we going next because a prediction number we're five is about africa next. which is a wonderful prediction but wonderful not prediction. necessarily in our wheelhouse so more developers in africa i say yeah. three cheers for them so yeah, prediction absolutely. six which i think yeah kind of relates well kind of relates to the agile challenge but um yeah. is is about modular bit it says modular business or bus so by 2024 80 percent of cio surveyed will list modular business redesign uh <laughs> as one of the top five reasons for accelerated business performance so and there, there's a there's a word there that i predict is going to be the word of 2022 if it isn't already it's composability we're yes, seeing that composability. Now it's been used in MarTech to describe best of breed or what we've always described as best of breed is now called composability. I mean, it's, it's way cooler. Now, as normal with us is we, we pluck these terms from one place and put them out. And now we can have com- composability organizations. And does that make you feel composed or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, what the, the fuck does this mean? Yeah. Well, so the, so a couple things. One mm-hmm. thing is that yeah. this, this whole idea about modular, um, you know, mm. business concepts is, yeah. is not new. I mean, it was, I think it was applied yeah. in manufacturing back in the nineties, which is yeah. what, interesting. If you think about like agile and some other things, yeah. it's like it starts in manufacturing, moves into something like software development, mm-hmm. then it moves into, you know, broader business practice. Yeah. In this case, you know, I, I sort of actually believe, I believe I had some experience with this because, when I was at uh, at Pegasystems, yeah. one of the things we did and one of the things that a number of our customers were doing is that rather than having sort of a big IT organization and big uh, yeah. you know, development teams that sat in a central organization, they pushed the management of IT and the development of applications that serve particular departments yeah. and business units. They pushed it out into the business units. And that, that gave, like in marketing, that gave us some... More, or gave us more flexibility to if we wanted to put together something to help manage our events or to yeah. track customers a certain way, uh, dealing with, um, you know, our personalization. So we could build that stuff as mm-hmm. long as we were 
you know, adhering to the sort of the guidelines, the the um, constraints that are set up by the corporate organization. So they kind of push right. the standards out for security, connected uh, connectivity, uh, you know, management of data. But then you've got the responsibility for building things that help you. And I, so I think that's a mm. as, as with a lot of trends, you know, as we've talked about agile, et cetera. I mean, these things. They, they take time to mature and they take time right. to really roll out. And, and I think what this prediction is just saying is that the kind of what's been percolating for a decade or so is now going to become yeah. more predominant. Right. So on to the last one. Yeah. So the last the last one I, I thought of was relevant to marketers is the breaking break up with bad customers. Mm. And so 75% of, by 2025, of companies will break up with poor fit customers that are cost- yeah costing you know retention the cost of retaining them you know because they're not good fit and 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 so one of the things that i think is is absolutely true about this and it certainly relates to marketing relates to sales as well is that you know companies were getting better and better about understanding and measuring uh you know the long-term value of customers customer cost acquisition particularly when more companies move to more of a subscription model uh you know these things became more important and i think now they're making their way into more of the you know common management practices so that people can do their planning their decision making and say these are the customers we're going after these are the customers that really aren't good fits for us and we're either going to you know not service them or you know we're we're going to charge them more for what we're we're, we're, they're getting and they'll eventually kind of go away but I think it's more about you know making sure you've got profitable customer segments as opposed to necessarily I just need more customers for more revenue. Right. So I think that's an, an absolute. Uh, I, I would bank on that. Um, that prediction. Do you think, is that is that because we've got better uh, data about these things? I, I, one, we got better data, but it's like again the the concepts. You know, it, it you know, this is kind of like the modular business approaches. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a while for concepts to really get into common management practice mm-hmm. so that the people running the company and the people you're running the specific departments running sales marketing i mean they, everyone understands the concept and so now let's manage to it as opposed to just being something we look at at the end of the year to say oh geez you know <laughs> our cost our cost of customer acquisition was way too high yeah um, but, uh, that's not cost of customer acquisition though is it because what they're saying here is poor fit customers so it's existing right. customers, right? So you've—it's the idea. Well, it'd be, of, is it, it, yeah, I think it would be both existing customers, and then it's like, well, who are we going to? What's the yeah. what's the profile of the customer we're going to go after? So we yeah. make sure we're not just grabbing new customers for the sake yeah. of it. Yeah, it's just I've had this conversation recently, and you talk to organizations, and they, you know, they naturally want to keep all of their customers, but then they have to realize, as soon, especially in a SaaS business, as soon as somebody calls you. <laughs> and you've got them on a low margin, then that's a loss-making customer. So, and what yeah. you can't have a loss-making customer. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, absolutely. Right. So, and, and and a company I'm working with right now, we're going through the exact same thing. It's yeah. like they've got they've got customers who are costing them more, yeah. and they haven't signed, and those customers haven't signed up for the level of service that's really required yeah. to protect them in secure cyber attacks and things like that. 
Yeah, yeah. So that was number eight, break up with bad customers. So the prediction there, I mean, that's a 2025 prediction that 75% of companies will break up with poor fit customers. But personally, I think if you're not looking at, especially if you're a SaaS business or service business, if you're not looking at the value of each of your customers, then, you know, it's not good for either of you, is it? Because, you, you, know, Correct. That, you know, you it's not good for you. It's not good for the customer. It, you have to be making sure that that you can serve them because look, I mean over here what we've had is recently a bunch of energy companies have gone bust because they were, they were they weren't charging enough. So it's great for the consumer that they weren't being charged enough, but ultimately the the company is going to go bust. So it's it's yeah. a it's that a doesn't help program. anybody. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the last two predictions uh, that they have here is hyperfixation on hyper tokenization, which is basically about NFTs. What I loved about this prediction is the hyperfixation. I think we're already in a hyperfixation of NFTs, yeah. <laughs> don't you? We seem to be top a hype cycle on this thing. So any well, they also they to... also talked about non fungible token yeah. gamification, and so I I was like, well, what's wrong with fungi? You know? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I like fun. Anyway, I, I you know this. I mean, this is an yeah, another area that's going to require a lot of uh, yeah. oversight. I would say, yeah. and then the last one, you know, more intercept internet for less. Yeah, you know, they're 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 saying that that uh, you know it's going to um, raise fifty percent of the world's population out of poverty because of expanding internet coverage. And yeah. I was like, well, the it, it it hasn't worked so far, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it takes a little bit more than the internet access to lift people out of poverty. Yeah, That's yeah. an essential building block, but it takes a little bit more than that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's um, that's the 10 predictions, and we p picked out some of that stuff. And as you mentioned, Jeff, you're going to be off for a bit on your travels, yep. seeing your family in Norway. In Norway. Nice. Yep. All right. So Traveling we'll, to Norge. Well, enjoy the holidays, and we'll we'll resume with you in January. And in the meantime... What song are you going to leave us with? I'm going to leave you guys with yeah. Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai from 1996. Uh, As a future is made of virtual insanity seems to be governed by this love we have for useless, twisting new technology. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think that wraps it up. <laughs> yeah. So you started off. You started off cynical of this list, and we've finally decided it's virtual insanity. So that's excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> and enjoy your break. Enjoy it, and uh, have happy holidays. And I'll see you when you come back. Sounds great. Cheers, Thank mate. you very much. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks to our mutual chum, John Field, now of Gartner himself, for sharing that article, which I will include a link to in the show notes. Let us know what you think or share your predictions with us. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And bon voyage to Jeff as he goes off on his travels. He'll be back with us in the new year. 
On to my guest this week, Melissa Sargent is the CMO at Litmus, where she runs all the marketing things, including corporate and product branding, demand generation, product marketing, public relations, and event management. Prior to Litmus, Melissa was the CMO at Sugar CRM, who you've no doubt heard of, and an e-commerce innovator channel advisor, Ecom. Melissa has a fabulous 30-year marketing career in the tech sector, applying her expertise in SaaS, go-to-market strategy and execution, customer success, digital demand generation, and branding with Companies like Avalara, CA Technologies, Digital Smiths, who are part of TiVo, Blue Fire Security Technologies, and Garden Verisign. As you'll hear, Litmus helps optimize email marketing, so a great opportunity to dive into this topic. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for joining us on Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Melissa. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Um, So for people that don't know you, Melissa, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am the CMO of Litmus. I have been with Litmus for two years now. This Mm -hmm. is my third CMO role. Previously, I was the CMO at Sugar CRM. And then before that, I was CMO um, at Channel Advisor in the e-commerce space. I've been in tech marketing for 30 years now and have done Mm. hard time and pretty much all of the disciplines uh, in marketing and uh, really have been very excited when I came to Litmus to work in a MarTech company that I finally get to come to work every day and geek out (laughs) about marketing. And I don't just get to geek out about marketing with the marketing team. The whole company has to join me and mm. in this joy because that's who we sell to. Yeah, no, I love it. I've, I've spent most of my career in marketing technology. So yeah, I'm a big fan of it myself as well, especially as I'm an ex-techie. So it all, it all work, works like that. And it's funny you mentioned Sugar CRM. I've just come out of a call talking about Sugar CRM with somebody. So. It's a small <laughs> it's a world. Small world. It is a small world. Um, and you've had a great uh, marketing career um, from, from what I can see and what I've followed. And um, what inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? It was complete dumb luck. You know, I didn't, my education is in yeah. uh, political science and US history. And so my first gig out of school was really in a PR and public affairs firm. And I was focused more on the issues, you know, based on my education but I was spending a lot of time going to political fundraisers and I just really didn't, you know, enjoy that part of the work. But the agency that I was working for also just did traditional corporate clients. So I Mm -hmm. started to pivot and do a little bit more with the corporate clients. And that's where I found, okay, this feels right to me for my agency time. Then I went to my first Uh, tech company and in the marketing department and said, okay, like this is, I'm good at this. I understand this. I feel like I'm at home. And that's where I really started uh, my journey. So I really had no intention of ever, you know, uh, becoming Mm. a a marketer. I, I viewed myself as somebody who would either go into politics or maybe go back to school and go to law school and go that route. So I just kind of found my way into into marketing yeah. yeah and so many of the people I talk to are the same way and so many of my peers that I, I chat to you know fell into marketing and it's funny you talk about history I mean two weeks ago and I was going to mention Drew Neiser later in our conversation but he's also come, comes from a history background as well so there's obviously something there as well in, in terms of that and and whereabouts are you anyway I'd forgotten to ask where are you, where are you right now 
So I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, I am a native to the Washington, D.C. area. My husband and I moved here 12 years ago to get mm-hmm. more trees. And it's a little just it's a little more quiet uh, down yeah. here. So it's uh, it's nice, although it has gotten cold and I am a warm weather <laughs> person. And so I will just be holding on for dear life for the next four months until it warms up again. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. I was... Um... Uh, how many years ago now? Yeah, we. I, I was based in DC a short time ago, and we were living. Uh, we were living out in Maryland, and it, we, we had a bit. There was a big storm in DC, like a lot of snow, and just you're not really used to it, and <laughs> it was just horrible. Uh, it was warmer than when I moved down from Stanford. I was in Connecticut, New York, and but yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, but this time of year, isn't it? This is the. This it's, is the time. This is the time. We're in it. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, we. Ch- I mean, that's so typically British of me to be talking about the, the weather. I mean, I <laughs> so, so let's get back to Litmus. Tell us a bit about what Litmus does. So if you're an email marketer, we'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the, the challenges that uh, email marketers have. So if you're going to uh, create an email, there's mm-hmm. a number of things that you have to take care of in terms of how you build that email. And then once you get a draft of it, you need to send versions out to your uh, different team yeah. members. So you might make a PDF and email it to them, and then they'll put their comments in a bunch of emails and send it back to you. And then when it's time to, uh, when you're proofing that email, you want to mm-hmm. be able to make sure that all of the different device combinations, there's over 300,000 300, different renderings somebody can wow. read a single email yeah. on. And between all of the different clients, and browsers and devices, they're making changes on average every two days. Trying to keep up with that and mm-hmm. do that manually is nearly impossible. You know, I can't mm-hmm. send it to you. I can't send out 300,000 different variations mm-hmm. to my friends and family to get them to check my email. And sure. what Litmus does is in a single platform from that whole process, from the first time you start coding your email and, and building it, through testing it, and then when you go to hit send, you can know with confidence that when you hit send that you, you, you've built it properly, it's not going to end up in the spam folder, it's going to render mm-hmm. if you've got a lot of people are viewing their emails now in dark mode, that it's been optimized for dark mode, that it's wow. going to land in that email box um, safely, they're going to be able to read it and and consume it. And then afterwards, after you hit send, we say it doesn't end with send at at, Le- at Litmus and that you're going to be able to understand what that person did with the email. Did they forward it to somebody? How much time did they spend uh, right. viewing it so that you can take that intelligence and apply it to your next email campaign? So it's really an end-to-end email optimization platform uh, to make sure that your emails make it in the inbox safely which is very right, different. Right. Sometimes people mix us up with, you know, email service providers. We're not a sending yeah. platform. We're that that piece that sits on top of your sending platform and makes sure that you get the maximum value for every single email. Right. That's what I was going to ask as well, where it fitted in with the rest of the email ecosystem. So that's, that's, that's useful. Um, and, and, and I mean, that's a classic uh, content management problem. I mean, that's my background is getting everybody to agree to just the words and to collaborate in that platform. So that's interesting that we have that in every channel, don't we? We, all, we have that channel. And, to, and speaking about channels, um, you know, email, 
these days isn't seen can i say that it's not seen as glamorous as as other channels these days and often people are declaring it as dead you know with everything else that's coming along um particularly compared with the obsession that people have with social and all sorts of automated marketing much of which is much very annoying what what do you why do you think email has still remained relevant why do you think it's still a great channel for for marketers to work with Yes, there's a number of reasons why email is such an effective channel. First of all, when you think about um, the the buyer's journey that you're the customers that you're selling to, more and more of that is happening online digitally um, before they ever want to talk to somebody in your sales team uh, or go to your website and and convert to buy something. They're doing they're educating them themselves. Email is an important part of that journey. And it's unique to the other channels in that your subscribers have invited you into their inbox. Yeah. They've explicitly said, I want you to give me information about your product and help educate me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a relationship aspect to email marketing that few other channels can can match. Um, and that's why it's in most marketers, you know, in their toolbox, when they look at their their multi-channel mix, email is always a key part of that. If you're running yeah. webinars, how do you how do you invite somebody to your webinar? Yeah. It's going to be through email. It's just yeah. that key link to that one to one relationship with your subscribers and your customers. So it doesn't get a lot of the glitz and glam that some of the mm-hmm. other channels. But the truth is in marketing is that there's the foundational things that were foundational 20 years ago are still very foundational today. And email's a key part of, you know, just your marketing mix, your total DNA. True, true. I mean, they, I mean, we've gone through phases, haven't we, where people have talked about people's websites are going to be uh, are going to be replaced. And that hasn't happened either. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's one of those key foundational technologies and ways of engaging like the website's always going to be there the email's always going to be then it's going to be augmented with these other channels and I use that word augmented because I mean I presume you follow Joe Polizzi and his work as well and 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 when he talks about content and he and he talks about customer engagement email for him is top of the tree in his what he describes as a subscriber hierarchy in in his book content inc and I picked on that because I think it's relevant isn't it because so many people are, are, are talking about social and talking about I mean, and, and Joe Polizzi talks about rented land all the time. The fact that the email really is your land, isn't it? It's where you own that engagement. So what, what advice do you give to marketers when, um, you know, for your own self or your peers about about where email marketing should play in, in this sort of mix? It should be a core part of your mix because from mm. the first time that somebody engages with your brand and you get their permission to communicate with them, you can use leverage email to nurture that relationship and help them along that buyer's journey in terms of, hey, I saw that you reviewed this this uh, white paper. People who reviewed mm-hmm. that white paper also took a look at this customer success story or this yeah. review. And that you can do it in a way that the, the way that our consumers and subscribers want us to engage with them in terms of mm-hmm. not pushing product but helping to understand the challenges that their business faces and showing them alternatives or options to educate them along that buyer's journey. And email allows you to do that, walk side by side with them in that relationship and for them to consume it in the way that they want to, which is we know Mm -hmm. that 
you know, like in B2B, they operate much more like B2C now than they ever mm, have true. before. And email is just a key partner, you know, in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And where do you see, I mean, at the moment, there's a big pushback, isn't there, with privacy and unsubscribe and Apple suggesting it's going to obfuscate our, our email addresses and all that stuff. But what I liked about what you're talking about is that choice of being subscribed, right? Because, I mean, I, I, I was CMO of a German company and we were incredibly tight about GDPR and double opt-in way before I think anybody thought about GDPR. You know, that's just the way it's always been in that market. But what I saw in that organization was a very clean, very engaged database. Is that is that your sort of experience, that sort of advice you have around around privacy? Does it worry you at all? It's, you know, it's certainly interesting because we have these two seemingly opposing forces of, mm -hmm. of privacy. And on the other hand, we have our consumers and subscribers and our customers telling us they want to, us to create a one-to-one -one relationship with them. They yeah. want us to show them that we know them uh, mm. and that we understand their problems, but we have to do it in a really responsible way with how mm -hmm. we handle their, their data. So it's, you know, it's undeniably a challenge and, and um, a fine line that we walk in marketing. And again, yeah. I think it gets back down to the, the fundamentals. You know, when was the last time, you know, somebody looked at their preference center? Sometimes we, we build those preference centers and kind of set it and forget it. You know, go back yeah. to your preference center and, and look what, you know, what's there and give people yeah. the option to explicitly opt in to the type of content and information that they want to receive from your company. And yeah. when you do that consistently over time, you're becoming much more of, you know, a trusted advisor and you're creating yeah. a true one-to-one -one relationship with that, that customer that the other channels just simply can't do it. But you're absolutely right. You have to have a clean database. A lot of companies are talking about, you know, customer data platforms now because, yeah. you know, uh, you know, 20 years ago in marketing, we didn't have any data. Now we are swimming in data and we don't know what to do with it. It's sitting in different yeah. silos and different systems. And it's really, really hard for marketers to be able to bring all that together, make intelligent insights and leverage it in a responsible way that actually serves their customers. So yeah. having a clean database, looking at your preference centers, understanding the behavior of your email subscribers, what they're engaging with, what they're not, and, and not taking a set it and forget it, you know, yeah. um, type approach that this is a proactive thing that you have to manage every single day, just like you manage your website every single yeah. day that you're optimizing SEO, you have to do the same thing with your email marketing program. Yeah. And do you see that privacy engagement, like, you know, the preference center and the way that you engage as a key part of the, the whole customer engagement? It's like, I, I, you know, I've read articles about um, the people forget that the cookie policy on your website is the first thing that somebody sees. So the words you use, the way you present it, how easy it is to use is the first impression of somebody these days. You're, all those crazy pop-ups on your website is the first impression. Is, do you think that's the same with email as well, that we, that we shouldn't just think of the opt-in as a transaction, but actually as an opportunity as part of that conversation? Definitely the latter, that when somebody opts, when they opt in, you know, mm -hmm. you are starting a relationship with that subscriber and you have to treat yeah. it like a, a relationship, a respectful relationship by only, you know, sharing with them information that they want to consume, 
by, you know, understanding if they're consuming more, you might want to speed up. If they slow down, you may want to slow, slow mm. down a bit and not overwhelm them. And the more mm. that you take care of that relationship, the longer, more trust you're going to build with them over time, mm-hmm. the more affinity they're going to have for your, your brand and the more successful, you know, the more um, you'll get from that, that true relationship that you're building with those customers and subscribers. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I think email is, um, is, as we were saying, like it's your, it's your own, you know, that, that relationship is your own relationship. You're not relying on anybody else for that. Uh, unlike Facebook or, or, or LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to change tack a little bit because I mentioned Drew Neiser earlier on. And when, when I, when I was doing my research before you came on the program, I noticed that we've got something in common. Well, not, not quite because I'm not I'm in the CMO huddles, but me and Drew were talking about CMO huddles. He doesn't have a European, he doesn't have it. So anyway, I should start from the beginning. <laughs> so Drew, <laughs> Drew was on the show two weeks ago. He runs a program from CMO huddles, which I understand is a community of CMOs. You guys get together. You talk about the, the issues of the day. Sounds fascinating to me. Uh, and um, and, and ha- what I wanted to ask you about is what do you get from that experience and what do you get from the experience of connecting with your peers? And, and is it something, it's a stupid question, is it something you'd recommend that people connect with other CMOs? So, so this is yeah. the great thing about being the host, right? You just ask stupid questions. It, is it a good idea for CMOs to talk to each other? Well, yeah. <laughs> but no, I was just, I just thinking about it and, uh, you know, talk, because a few weeks ago as well, I had a guy um, on the show um, who was also, who I found out subsequently was in CMO huddles too. And I, I'm interested in this program and what does it give to you and, and what would you recommend it to people? Not necessarily Drew's thing. It's not an advert for Drew, but, you know. <laughs> CMO Huddles has been a really valuable community that I've joined in the the last mm-hmm. year. And Drew's done, you know, something e- extraordinary in that he's brought together all of these B2B CMOs. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's a really, you know, it's great because every month we get together and sometimes there's a topic that somebody has served up beforehand, like, you know, I'm really struggling with attribution. And we'll get on the call and he will throw it out and say, all right, you know, Melissa, what is what is your company doing, you know, around attribution? What are the challenges? Are there specific technologies? What do you think is yeah. the critical path? And we we actually talk through these challenges that we have. Sometimes we get on the call and we don't have a topic and somebody will just mm-hmm. say, like, oh, I'm really struggling in my relationship right now with my, my CFO, trying to get him to understand the value yeah. of brand building. And then... We all kind of jump in and say, hey, you know, have you thought about this? Um, The community aspect of it is just, I can't even put, you know, I can't even probably effectively articulate how valuable it is to me as a marketing leader Mm -hmm. to be in a group who are in the exact same role I'm in, who have the exact Mm -hmm. same challenges. Because regardless, you know, one thing I've learned after 30 years in marketing the problems that you have at the smallest company are the exact same problems that this this oh, leader sure. has at the largest company. It's just a matter yeah. of, of scale. We're all struggling with the same things. And to get insight and input and, and ideas from people who are just like you facing the exact same challenges that you are is invaluable. Like you just, you know... Yeah. It's you can't get that from your inquiry with your forester no. analyst. Oh no, 
right? You know, um, as great well, as they well, are, it's a totally different type of community and, and support. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I, I've, I've known a lot of analysts over the years and stuff like that, but many of them are career analysts now. So you're talking to somebody who's actually had the same problem as you yesterday, rather than that. I mean, I, I, I think the analyst community are hugely valuable. And, and um, one of the regulars on this show is a former um, Forrester Research Director, um, Jeff Clark. So I'm not going to say anything bad about analysts, but I will say I think there is a huge amount to get from somebody who's an actual practitioner doing it right now. And, and the same, which is, I get, I mean, I get a lot of value out of these conversations, to be honest. I mean, th- I started this podcast as a lockdown project 91 episodes ago with the prime, with the, with the intention of talking to other CMOs and talking to other people in the industry and having these kinds of conversations and recording them and sharing them. So um, I, I really like, I really like this idea. And, um, uh, and also have it have I mean Drew's podcast as well. I mean that's what I learned Drew from Drew from Drew's podcast um, is mm-hmm. is that he shares a lot of those stories and it is interesting that he'll have people that are in these. I listened to one the other day and he had somebody who who had a two person team and somebody who had a forty person team and they were talking about the same issue that they face. Um, I can't remember what the exact issue was, but I think it's really interesting. So yeah, so that that's that's. It- good. And there's lots of opportunities to connect one-to-one with the other CMOs. So yeah. one of the, the issues I'm trying to understand right now, and if it's if it's something that I can do in my organization is around agile marketing. Mm. And so I reached out to, yeah. to Drew and said, hey, I'm thinking about agile marketing. Yeah. You know, is, is there somebody in the group who's gone through the process who can talk mm. me through, you know, what I need to, all the things I need to be thinking mm. about um, before I embark on on this journey, and he connected me on a one on one with one of the other members of the CMO huddles who wasn't just didn't happen to be in the little subgroup that I'm in. Yeah. She carved out an hour of her time. She brought her primary person on her team who runs their agile um, program and talked me, you know, through here are like the cool. ten things that you need to to know and and uh, you know as you start on this journey. So there's lots yeah. of ways to engage with the group and it's just it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, splendid. Well, I mean I think that's quite enough of promoting Drew and his CMO. I know, Drew. <laughs> gosh. That's so much anyway. Like he needs this extra help. I know. When I interviewed him, I said I was a fanboy and he said, Oh, my wife doesn't need to hear that because she'll think that I can't get through the doors, my head's so big. But anyway, to my final question. Uh, back to Rockstar CMO. Uh, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Simple, our portal to hell for all the snake oil BS and overhyped trends that plague this marketing craft we love. What would you throw in the Rockstar CMO Simple? So I'm going to, this is going to be a little controversial, but I, I think it has ones. to, I, I think it has to do with, you know, as marketers, marketing, marketing technology, Sometimes I think we're the problem and how we over hype and promote these things. And I think yeah. to the point where things that used to be obvious, a discipline within marketing becomes mm-hmm. obfuscated because somebody latches onto something and then everybody rebrands around that. And I think mm-hmm. the area, you know, I don't know if it's really snake oil. I think it's a great area of confusion now is around mm-hmm. account based marketing. ABM, yeah. like every company yeah. is now an ABM company. And yeah. to the point where it's really actually hard to understand when people say they're doing 
ABM, what that means. And now I've mm-hmm. noticed that like even other leaders within the company will say, we should just throw some ABM at that. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking like, you don't even know what you're talking about. And again, because I... <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw some ABM at that. I love that. <laughs> you know, I've been around for a minute. I've been doing this for 30 years and yeah. account-based marketing is not new. It's it's the yeah. same thing that we've been doing for long before yeah. I got into marketing and to understanding yeah. the key accounts that we're going after, understanding the people that are part of that buying committee, understanding yeah. the key pains that they have and figuring out how we nurture that relationship. And so I think, and then of course we have all of these enabling technologies around understanding intent so that we can see the things that within that specific account, if somebody's actually searching on that and that we can be more timely in how we respond Mm -hmm. to them. But I think we've gotten away from understanding at the end of the day, I really think marketing does come down to some key fundamentals and that ABM is really not this new fancy thing. We've got some interesting enabling technologies that we can apply that help us be more effective Mm -hmm. in our jobs. But it's not something where you just deploy technology and then suddenly this issue is resolved. You cannot throw ABM at, at that without understanding the fundamentals, having a strong interlock with your sales organization. And there's a lot of other pieces that are are part of it to make it successful. So I think sort of the snake oil is like on us because we're the ones that, that create, you know, the, you know, the messaging around this and that it's the solution for all of our, our issues. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. The idea that the tech now is obfuscating the uh, the core fundamentals of marketing, and I think AB is exa- a wonderful example is ABM. I think that's that you're so right, and I'm totally going to steal. Let's throw some ABM at that. <laughs> <Just make laughs> well, that was excellent, and that was certainly. Uh, and I, I also like the fact that when I talk to marketing technologists from 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 uh, or people that are from Martech B two B, and so many of them want to throw a bit of tech into the swimming pool because. You know, <laughs> We're very self-aware. <laughs> All right, that's, that's excellent. Thank you very much, Melissa. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking for you, Melissa, where are they going to find you? Uh, you can find me on on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also mm-hmm. find me on uh, Twitter, MH Sargent, uh, and I look forward to, to hearing from you all. Well, I look forward to staying in touch with you, Melissa. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. A whole bunch of things we covered there. Really enjoyed that conversation. And I will, of course, include all of Melissa's links, including to Litmus, in the show notes. Plus, some more promotion of Drew Neiser and his CMO huddles that we heard about a couple of weeks ago when he was a guest on the show. Big fan of his podcast, and I will include links to his stuff too. Right. It's Friday evening here. Time to switch off Zoom and stop by the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Grab a cocktail with my friend and content marketing guru and chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, and find out what's on his mind this week. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar, and welcome to the end of the week. It's uh, yes, it's it's fantastic to be here, and um, I this is my favorite time of year for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, much probably to your disappointment this week, uh, I do not have a tequila drink for you. Um, oh, no. You know, I, well, I'm beginning to learn that you're uh, maybe a little limited in your... In your uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just it's starting to dawn on me that, that you may be a little limited in, in your in, in the liquor. So I thought I'd go with a gin cocktail. Uh, and this is this is one that I actually when I first started drinking um, as a young boy. Yes. <laughs> I've been drinking for a while. Um, on your mother's you know, knee. <laughs> yeah, I used to I used to drink all the time when I was in college um, and yes. then stopped. Um, and that's a gin fizz. Um, oh. which I know is also popular there in the UK. So, yes. um, uh, so the, the key is to make a proper gin fizz. You mm-hmm. need uh, not only gin and lemon um, mm-hmm. and soda water, of course, which is the fizz mm-hmm. part of the gin fizz. But to make it really great, you want to sort of whip up some egg whites and put that in there and put a little, I like wow. maple syrup because it's a little, to me, it's a little more pure than the simple syrup, cocktail syrup. So yeah. you have, You've got your gin, you've got your lemon, you've got your, you know, very, very frothy uh, egg white to pour over the top of that. And then maybe a little simple syrup. Eh, I don't like that. Or better maple syrup, which makes it a little more holiday nice. anyway. Uh, yeah. And uh, and away you go. So so that that, that sounds is our gin fizz. That sounds good. And was, that, was there ice in that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Splendid. You can do it without ice, but 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 I put it in right. Well, uh, as you've already made reference to my uh, desktop bar, I have got some gin. Hurrah! Uh, I'm back on the bomb. Oh no, it was Bombay Sapphire last week as well, isn't it? Uh, so I'm having some Bombay Sapphire, some London Dry. Always gin. a good choice. Always a good yes, choice. Yes, you do like that one. So I guess that's what's in your gin fizz too. Uh, I- indeed, it's a, it's a yes. Bombay Sapphire. Now I don't have access. What well, you do actually have access, and it's a crime that you haven't availed yourself of all of the amazing uh gins that are going on especially in ireland and and Mm. you know parts around you which yes you know all those places that they're making whiskey they're now making gin so yeah well there are some amazing craft gins around you yeah my sister bought me some welsh gin for for my birthday a couple of years ago which is really nice (laughs) and there's so many jokes there there's so (laughs) many There's so many jokes there. <laughs> I'm not even going near them. Yeah. There's Welsh even gin. A, there's a, there's a, there's a, a gin still just up the road from where I am on a, a, a motoring heritage site that uh, I, I need to go visit as well. So yeah, sure, right. I need to be a bit more. Oh, there's some fizz. Uh, guess where that came from? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. As the, as the odor of of cucumber tonic water uh, um, pervades my desktop. So yes, a little bit of fever tree in there. Let me try this gin fizz. Oh no, I just said the name of it again. Mmm. That's delicious, Robert. I could drink these every week. What did you call it? I, yeah, I think you might, yeah. And what did you call it? That was a gin fizz. That was delicious. Thank you very much. And, and where then you can do the, the slow gin fizz as well, which is truly if you're in high school or college, you mm-hmm. do the slow gin fizz, which is slow gin, which of course is very sweetened. Jizz, uh, gin yeah. Sits, yeah. Yeah, not a fan. 
I'm not sure no, about I'm the simple either. syrup even in, in I don't I don't like putting simple syrup. No, yeah, you can do so there's so many ways you can sort of get around that, you know, the maple syrup yeah. is one way for sure. I mean it makes the yeah. egg whites a little, you know, a little more, you know, it's, it's a little more than mm. show. It it gives a little, yeah. you know, texture to nice. it. But yeah. Nice. All right. So and where would we be drinking these gin fizzes? Well, I think we have to go someplace, you know, because we are getting into the throes of winter here. Um, you know, and I know it's not winter yet, but but it's mm-hmm. but but it's getting there. It's certainly. Oh my cooler, god, it's winter here, mate. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I think we need to go someplace warm. And the place yep. that comes leaping to mind that's warm right now is uh, our friends down under, down in Sydney. Yeah. Um, which I am missing terribly. I have to tell you, I used to do Sydney every single year, and it has now been almost three years since I've been there. Um, and I miss it because I love that city so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need, I think we need to find some great place in Sydney yeah. where it's warm and outside near the yeah. water and, and drink our gin fizzes and, and chat about Very the world. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's been, um, been many years since I've been to Sydney, but when I went there, it's, it's gotta be, I mean, I love London. I love New York, but it's, it's, it's right up there. It's like a little, it's like a little New York or something, like, and it's so, so cosmopolitan. Well, you know, it reminds me of it, it. Reminds me so much of home, right here in Los Angeles, yeah. right? It, it yeah. reminds me very much of a smaller version, um, yeah, and a more sane version of Los Angeles. It's it's you know it's yeah. spread out, you know it's yeah. on the water, it's very laid yeah. back, um, and it's just a you know the great good, food everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. and just really cool people. So I, I love that city so much. Yeah. Less good Mexican food. <laughs> no, they don't really have a lot of Mexican food in, in, in Sydney, although it does exist. I have actually yeah. been to a Mexican restaurant in Sydney and I will tell you, it was not great. No, it was. No, uh, it it's was, the Asian food there, isn't it? It's just off. Asian top. food it's is great. Well, but it really, and you know, what's really good there are the steakhouses, right? So, mm, you know, true. the, the, the oh. amazing, um, beef there and, yeah. and it's just, you know, and it's all, you know, they have so many things, places where the, mm. the beef is, you know, it's organically mm. raised and all sorts mm. of, it's just amazing. Oh, got to stop thinking that. Oh, and I forgot, um, I was actually going to have something different to drink today uh, to commemorate your 300th, uh, I know that promoting your podcast on my show, uh, obviously, um, I think we share the same listener anyway, so I think we're all right there. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to risk anything, but um, I was going to put a tea toes in my, um, in my tonic, but people have to listen to your, um, to your 300 episode of this old marketing to know what the hell I'm banging on about. It's a bit inside baseball, but congratulations on well, 300 you. episodes of your own podcast. I think 300 of anything is pretty awesome. So well done. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty surprising given the schedules um, the businesses that we've, that both Joe and I have run, yeah. um, our, you know, our lives and how we've balanced it. The fact that, you know, yeah. aside from the sabbatical that Joe took right yeah. after selling CMI, yeah. that literally for the last eight years, yeah. um, we've been able to come together once a week and do a show yeah. and do 300 of them without yeah. missing, you know, we've never, we never, you know, that's our big claim to fame is we've never missed a show. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we, we, even there was a few times where we had complete technical breakdowns. We yeah. were able to jump on the phone and get a show done, you know, and, and all of yeah. that. And I think I'm prouder of that actually than I am of anything else. Yeah. The fact that we were so consistent for yeah. so many years and, yeah. 
and actually it's a great case study and we talk about it on this uh, on mm -hmm. the episode of it's an amazing mm -hmm. case study of consistency over quantity because Absolutely. when we stopped for joe's sabbatical it was quite frankly something that you know we may never actually fully recover from you know the the, the wow. audience that we lost etc we yeah. hopefully you know over time we'll recover and get to the numbers that yeah. we were prior but but um yeah. you know we we lost a good number of those people and 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 many of them permanently not because we change the show or they don't like it or yeah. whatever because we continually yeah. get you're back on wow i never knew but because yeah. quite simply they stopped looking for us and once yeah. people stop looking for you it's really yeah. easy to not be found again yeah yeah i mean you've got to become part of somebody's habit haven't you i mean exactly. I'm, I, this exactly episode right. would be episode 91 uh for me and consistently doing it every single week uh it takes I mean, I'm not complaining, um, but it, 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 I, I understand the commitment that you guys have done for eight years is incredible. That's, I mean, well, longer than that. Is it, no, is it eight years? Yeah. yeah. So hat tip to you for that. Well done. And cheers to, um, and, and Joe's not here. It's only you. Cheers to Joe and his Tito's and Tonic. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers to Joe and his Tito's and Tonic. Yes. Which is, <laughs> you know, fine. You know. All right, mate. So, uh, yeah, we shouldn't talk about Joe because I think Joe gets talked about too much, even on your show. So what what are we actually going to talk about uh, while we while we enjoy the warmth of Sydney during this miserable bloody winter? Well, it is the middle of December and it, you know, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but, um, you know, the funny thing is you look at the calendar. Yep. And the math basically says there are 20 more weekdays until the end of the new year. But okay. honestly, with the way that vacations work and holiday yeah. closures, the real number to that is if we start, you know, subtracting those out, it's yep. closer to like 12. Like, you know, yep. so it's literally the 12 days of Christmas before the end of the year. <laughs> and yeah. the interesting thing is I've received so many emails last minute, you know, sort of especially in content marketing but but marketing more broadly even these last minute planning things budgets are due plans are yeah. due 2022 oh my god it's going to be here and yeah. what are we going to do yeah. and the interesting thing to me is in this you know sort of chaos there's a fascinating trend that i notice and this is not anything new this is certainly something that's been around forever but the question in those plans isn't what are we going to do it's how are we going to get everything done yeah and the spoiler alert, I hate to break it to all those folks who plan that way, is you're not going to get everything done. You're just simply not. Um, we've got this really funny relationship with planning, right? We, we, you know, and I'm guilty as this as anybody, trick ourselves into believing that the output of a planning process is a plan to accomplish all these tasks that we've decided to do, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, we've decided on this and we've decided on that. And we've decided on those other things and someone else decided that we needed to do this. So all those decisions were taken four months ago, six months ago, three months ago, last week. And then we basically put all those up on a whiteboard and we go, great. Now there's our that's our goals. We have to figure out how we're going to get it all done. And, you know, from a content perspective, I see this all the time where, you know, basically you get, okay, here's all the decisions passed along from upper management about what content mm -hmm. should be, the requests from other parts of the business, product sales, et cetera, et cetera. The content team, our own goals, the old, our own things that we want to do. And then we look at all those things and go, great, now let's create a plan to achieve all of them. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let you take a wild guess at which one of those, you know, those goals <laughs> and decisions 
don't get included in the ultimate plan. Yeah. yeah hint. It's the last one. It's the one. It's our goals. We started yeah. to just get all, all, all that, you know, and as I've been saying, if your content plan is simply a list of all the decisions that have already been made, it's not a strategic plan. It's a production uh, schedule. Yeah. And so the key is that planning is different than a plan. Planning right. is actually taking the decisions, wiping the whiteboard clean. You've got to stop looking at the plan as the output and mm -hmm. rather looking at all of those decisions as decisions that need to be made as part of a planning mm -hmm. process. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, the key is not to wait to the last 12 days of the year to do it, first of all. <laughs> um, and the second thing is to sort of build that into your process. So those decisions, by the time we get to the last 12 days before Christmas, mm -hmm. the decisions that we've taken are not those that have just sort of been handed down to us or the ones that we're coming up with right now and figuring out how to do. They are mm -hmm. the ones that we've decided, yes, we will do this. More importantly, the ones that we will not do, that we've decided not to do and aligned all of that together so that the planning process becomes taking the decisions and yep. the plan then becomes of those decisions that we've taken, here is our approach to actually accomplishing them because that's going to influence the 365 days that come next. After, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 we talk about planning on, on the show quite quite yeah. a bit and it's such an essential element of, of marketing. and. Um, I actually read something, it was from last year, it just popped up in my LinkedIn feed um, by the ad contrarian, uh, where he was saying that um, strategy was a luxury for those, that for the rich, right? That, that not every organization has the luxury of being able to create a strategy, that the marketers have to get in there and just get the tactics done so that they can then earn the revenue. But the problem with that is just you know that I'm constantly banging on about the hamster wheel. Problem is, if you just jump on the hamster wheel and run, 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 you're not really going to get anywhere, are you? You need to have at least a plan. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, strategic yeah. planning is, is, you know, it's the same problem, right? Not only, yeah. you know, doing content or marketing, but yeah. strategic business planning. And, and by the way, so many times I hear frustrations from the leads in marketing or the leads in, yeah. in, in, in as content practitioners saying that, senior executives are skeptical about our content planning process. Yeah. Well, yeah. guess why? It's yeah. because the already made decisions that you're trying to map out on how to do, they become yeah. a barrier to good decision making full stop. In other words, mm. if your only job is to figure out the tangible tactical roadmap for everything that's thrown on your plate, that's you're not strategic planning. And so is it any wonder that the executive goes, I, I, I don't I don't believe any of this. Why should mm. they? Right? Yeah. You're basically saying, here's how to accomplish bad decisions. Here's how to accomplish yeah. good decisions. And here's how to accomplish decisions that are really, you know, quite frankly, in the middle of the road somewhere yeah. by coming to them and saying, look, the strategic plan should include this, this, and this, and not that, yeah. that, and that, even yeah. if it contains something that the CEO wants, that's yeah. the proposal that we should be putting in front of senior executives. And yeah. if they then tell us, no, 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 you're going to do my thing because I said yeah. so, well, then, okay, yeah. so be it. But it's coming up with the right strategy first yeah. <clears throat> and then figuring out how we're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it, it, we all have those things. The CEO wants to do something, but they have to choose the thing that it's going to replace because you only have a certain amount of time and bandwidth that you can focus on these things. You can't do everything, right? So if you've, right. 
if you're organized enough to have that costed out from a time and people perspective and you've got that strategy and you've got that plan then when that weird thing comes along or that that vanity project or whatever it is you can say well okay well we're gonna have to lose one of these which one is that's exactly right yeah one yeah. of the things that i often do yeah. it, with clients when we do our road mapping exercise to yeah you know, change the process of content marketing or content strategy or what we're going to do in marketing and those kinds of things is, you know, we start with the end in mind, right? Our goals and our objectives and the things that we're trying to do. And we sort of work backwards to create a plan to the decisions that are going to get need to get made in order to accomplish those goals. And one of the initial questions is, you know, when we write those goals out on the whiteboard, somebody goes, well, what's the date, right? Of Mm -hmm. those goals? Because, Mm -hmm. You know, and I go, no, 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 we're not thinking about dates yet. Don't, don't think about dates yet because, you know, what that immediately does is put you into a, well, we might not have enough budget or, well, Bob might get in our way or, well, this thing might happen. And, and then we start building our plans based on decisions that we've already assumed will get made. And which is the opposite of what we should do. We should come up with the right strategy, come up with the right planning for that. And then identify, just as you said, identify all the roadblocks that could come up, decisions that might be made that could provide roadblocks to this right strategy and basically then say, okay, great. What is our plan to address that roadblock? If the CEO says it's going to be blue, guess what? It's going to be blue, independent of the decisions, you know, the planning that we do, (laughs) but at least we've then planned for it to say, this is what it should be. And this is how long it should take and all those kinds of things. And then when those roadblocks appear, we can go, great, this is how we're going to, you know, address it when it yeah. comes up. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect reminder at this time of year. And it's funny when you say, oh, there's really only 12 days left. I mean, this is this is going to be, we're recording this on Friday the 3rd, and it's going to go out on the on the, the 4th tomorrow. But yeah, you're right, we've only got a couple yeah, of weeks so there's left. there's only 11 days left now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, you know, I even heard from somebody today saying, oh, I've still got some budget to spend uh, this year. And I'm like, is that this calendar year or financial year? Calendar year. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> anyway, so on that on that on that note, uh, when um, when where, where can people find similar thoughts to this from you, Mr. Robert Rose? Well, similar thoughts might be found on our little hovel on the web, which is contentadvisory.net. Wonderful. And when our listeners spin the dial on the interwebs, our listener, I should say, <laughs> when, listener, when, Dennis, yeah. <laughs> when Dennis spins yeah. the dial on the interwebs, where is he going to find you? You'll find us uh, on social media, all the usual spots, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. I think my, my avoidance of Clubhouse has proven to be successful so far and will in the future as well. So you won't find me there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, and will I find you in the bar next week? You will indeed, yes. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Thanks, mate. Of course. Thank you, Robert. Good points about planning. And congrats again to him and Joe Polizzi on 300 episodes of This Old Marketing. Something else I'll include a link to in the show notes, along with all of Robert's links. So that's a wrap on episode 91 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. 
I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Melissa and Robert for joining me and for sharing their insight. Please follow them, say hello, check out their work and I'll include all their links in the show notes which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. So... Does the world need another Epping Marketing podcast? Let us know with a nice rating or review in your favourite podcast app or share your thoughts with us at Rockstar CMO on Twitter or LinkedIn or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff is off for the holidays. I have Nora Sudath, co-founder of Hello Audio in the calendar and I'll again be joined by Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.